As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Welcome back to Killer Queens. This is our episode on Sam Little, but just part two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, as always, we're not here to tell you what to do, but we do think that it might be best for you if you just go ahead back to part one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. get yourself acquainted yeah and then come back over yeah because the thing is we're starting in los angeles today in 1987 and you're gonna be like whoa 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 how'd we get there you know exactly yeah, yeah. you're not gonna understand mm -mm. yeah and if it's your first time here you know go back to wherever you want i guess you can start wherever you want just yeah it's like you don't have to go home but you can't stay here That's the only <laughs> thing exactly closing time yeah yep all right other than that We do have a Patreon. We sure love to tell you about it. We damn near almost forget to tell you about it every time. <laughs> And this is a part two. So if you are a patron, you got this early. And if you're not a patron and you had to wait a week to get this and you wish you didn't have to wait a week, then just join the Patreon. Exactly. And also you, you can get, it, get it instantly. Exactly. exactly. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're like those old married couples that tell the same story in a different way at the same time. Exactly. Yes. And we also finish each other's <laughs> sandwiches. Yes. But also sentences. We finish each other's everything. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, shall we, uh, shall we do it? Yes. Okay. Fastest time we've ever gotten into a case. I am, I'm appalled. I'm proud of us. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we're on to something here. Doubt it. But no. let's go ahead. Okay. All right. So, when we left off, Sam Little had been released from jail. Because he never commits a violent crime, ever, never, never. And he's definitely not going to do it again. He has no reason to be in jail. No, no, no. So then he leaves where he was, which honestly, where was it? Florida or Mississippi? He, it, was it was in Mississippi. Oh, I was about to say it was in Florida. He was somewhere Jeez. else. And so then he goes to Los Angeles. He's so all over the place, you guys. I mean, you already know this. So he ends up in Los Angeles and he starts right back up killing people because it's what he does. Yeah, it is what he killer. does. 
So five months after he's released in July of 1987, he killed 41-year-old Carol Alford. However, her case went cold quickly. In 1988, Little's alibi slash partner in crime, Aurelia Dorsey, died of a brain hemorrhage. And I'm sure that Little was sad for five seconds because of how it affected him. Yeah, exactly. He was like, damn it, I knew that bitch was going to leave me high and dry. Exactly. <laughs> like, I feel yeah. like that, that's the extent of his emotion. Yeah, exactly. Yes. On August 4th, 1989, the body of a 35-year-old Caucasian woman was found beaten and choked. The body was identified as Audrey Nelson, and the officers determined that Audrey had scratched her attacker and had DNA under her fingernails. Her nails were clipped, and the DNA was collected for future testing. These guys are ahead of the game. I'm so proud of them. I know. Every time something like this happens, where they're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to this. Mm-hmm. Just in case mm-hmm. we can use this later. I'm like, how did you know? I mean, they're like uh, fortune tellers. I know, little oracles. Yeah. Also, I think I should have made this statement in the last episode, but we unfortunately, well, there's several reasons. We won't be able to name every single victim, unfortunately. Honestly, that is probably one of my biggest reasons that I don't like covering serial killers is I feel like we don't really get to, you know, like Mm -hmm. talk about the victims at length and as much as would do them justice. Yeah. And there's so many that like, you know, there's, there's a lot. I mean, the, the documentary that we watched, it was, was that an ID documentary? It sure was. Yeah. You can watch it on Hulu, Amazon. It's called the 93 victims of Sam Little. If there are, in fact, 93, that's already time prohibitive, unfortunately, to talk about. But the other unfortunate thing is they're not all identified. He doesn't know the names of all of them. Investigators haven't been able to link him to every single one. There are some you know, women that they found that they believe they, they were at least able to link up to a person that was found, but we still don't have a name or... Some of these women haven't been identified, unfortunately. So it's it's literally not possible. But we just, I don't know. I mean, I think you guys understand if you're a fan of true crime, if this is not the first true crime podcast you've ever listened to, you understand that. That's kind of how it goes with serial killers. But I don't know. I just feel like we should say it because I hate that it's that way, you know? I also feel like I should say for my own personal well-being that I feel like you're coming at me because you know that serial killer cases are the most interesting to me and the ones that I want to spend time on. And for you to say that I don't care about victims is hurtful. Okay, you're not listening. <laughs> First off. I, what I heard from what you said was uh-huh. how I look. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all about you. I see. Yeah. I see. In fact, if you're talking about anything that doesn't have anything to do with me, I'm not listening. Oh, I know that. Because we're not even... We've changed subjects and you're still way back there. You don't even know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, just what? Kidding. Who's talking? Exactly. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I forgot to mention that in the last episode, but just wanted to put that out there. Well, okay. it's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So they kept the nail clippings, which was amazing. And would have disgusted Torella to no end. You know, I've gotten a lot better with fingernails because I have children. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah. Yeah. According to the Catching a Serial Killer episodes on Sam Little, this was five years before collecting and testing DNA became standard in an investigation. 
And I have heard of like officers in the 70s even keeping stuff, just being like, you know, this could, this could be a technology that we use one day. So I always love it when they're thinking ahead like that. Mm-hmm. In 1989, rookie cop Jesse Soltero was dealing with the crack epidemic and the feuds between the Crips and the Bloods in LA. But then in September, he was called to the location of the body of a Hispanic woman. She was in the alley behind an abandoned auto repair shop. Evidence was collected and the victim was identified as Guadalupe Apodaca. Oh my God, I remember this name. That was in Confession Killer. Oh. Do you remember the bird guy saying Apodaca all over the place? No. You don't? No. What was the bird guy's name? Uh, I guess a bird guy. You know, the guy whose nose looked like a bird. He was the Texas Ranger. Bob Was his name Bob? Where he was like, the most dangerous place to get would be in between that Vic guy and a camera. And he also said like... Are you talking about the one that was kind of heavy set and real hateful? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking Doesn't about. Doesn't he look like a little bird? Yes, he does. Like a little angry bird. Yeah. Yes, he's an angry bird. Yes. Yeah. I remember him saying Apodaca so many times. He must have blocked him out. I have no idea. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That must have been a hard time for you. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I didn't know there, it was so traumatizing. Um, but because remember- Well, it didn't have anything to do with me. You remember? Well, that's true. But remember Henry Lee Lucas, they took him, you know, all over the place. He went to LA at one point and he took, he took responsibility for this murder. I believe that. And that guy, God, what was his name? Bob something. He fully believes that Henry Lee Lucas is the person who murdered this woman. No, he believes Henry Lee Lucas murdered, I think, everybody, everybody. in the history of the entire world. Yeah, yes, all of them. Yeah. But okay. So anyway, I just, when I saw that, when I, I, I felt like her name was familiar, but when I said it out loud, instead of just reading it, I was like, oh yeah. my God, it hit me. It like clicked. Yeah. So the location of her body was only about a mile from the location where Carol Alford was found. All right, so let's jump to 1994. Okay. I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay, so it's 1994. Mm -hmm. You are wearing your denim overalls with only one strap. You're written free willy. Yeah, exactly. You're written free willy all over the place yep. on VHS at Blockbuster. You don't know it yet, but Friends is going to debut in September and life is good. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember in 1994, which cassette would I have had in my Walkman? I know exactly which one I would have had in mine and that was Ace of Base. Oh, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. I think mine was Old Country, but yeah, I, but I do I remember your Ace of Base. I flip-flopped between Tanya Tucker Clearly, mm-hmm. and Ace of Base. I feel like this was this before Shania Twain because I got Shania Twain as soon as she came out. Well, that's tough to think about because I think any I man did, of mine. Uh huh. I think I did have Shania Twain. So yeah, good call, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. So now that we're in a good place mentally, we're nostalgic. We're feeling great. Let's bring that on down. Yeah, let's bring it down. Yeah. In 1994, Odessa, Texas was considered the murder capital of the United States. That is not a name I want to have for my town. No, <laughs> you don't want to be known as the murder capital. No, and and Odessa, Texas, that sounds just so random. You'd think it'd be this like giant city, like, like Chicago yeah. or LA yes. or New York City or yeah. New yeah. York City. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Detroit, something like that. Yeah. 
Sergeant Snow Robertson was called to the scene of a body found in a vacant lot. When I heard his name, I was like, I must have heard that wrong. His name cannot be Snow. I know. Sure is. I did the same thing. And I was like, that's kind of badass. I like it. I know. Same. Honestly, the cops in the cases that we get to know the cops in mm-hmm. of Sam Little's crimes, they're all <laughs> awesome. Like, yeah, they are. They are like bulldogs. They don't stop. They give a Legit shit. justice. Yes. I know. Like, yeah. yeah, it's awesome. And as we know, that doesn't happen very often. So it's pretty I awesome know. when it does. Yeah, it's really refreshing. And it's sad to have to say that. Yeah, exactly. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The body was pretty decomposed, but Robertson felt it important to put paper bags over her hands to preserve evidence. Good thinking, Snow. I know. There would be no forensic evidence on the body, but her hyoid bone was broken. The police felt that with the amount of force it would take to strangle someone and break their hyoid bone, the killer had to be a male. The medical examiner was able to obtain a print and determine that the body is that of Denise Brothers. Snow Robertson actually knew Denise and her family. He described her parents as upstanding. Family said that Denise always felt she wasn't enough for this family. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard. It's so sad. Denise got hooked on heroin and became a sex worker to pay for her drug habit. Her family tried to help her, but addiction is a beast. Denise's son, Damien, was interviewed for the 93 Victims of Samuel Little documentary on ID, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. And he said... That his mother would have periods where she was there and doing well, but then she'd vanish for a while. In January of 1994, Denise had been missing longer than usual, so her family hit the streets to try to locate her. Two weeks later, they got a call about a body being found. And the family had to go in to identify her body, but as soon as her mom walked in, she started screaming. Oh, that was awful to hear. And you know, God, how many times have we talked about the scream that a mother Let's out that guttural, when, and that does not yeah. change when your children are grown. No, yeah, oh, it's so sad. Snow Robertson's investigation started with talking to sex workers who directed him to one of their regulars who drove a van. The man was brought in and interviewed, but after consenting to a search of his car and a polygraph that he passed, the man was released. 
Robertson kept talking to sex workers in the area and Denise Brothers dad called regularly. Robertson completed the VICAP report on the case with every detail he could. This is also another like you want to give him a pat on the back because that's something he didn't have to do. Yeah, that's like going above and beyond. Yeah, and cuz like once we, you know, when we get in a little bit to on like the VICAP thing, like not not all agencies fill it out, which is super helpful, I'm sure. Right. And and it is an extra thing, but it is a way to collect national data. And it's just one of those things that like, you know, there's people who clock in and clock out and that's all they do at their job. And that's true of every type of job. Mm-hmm. But Detective Robertson felt like he needed to submit that information and thank God he did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we see, of course, like you said, every job has that where you could cut corners here and there. But in this, we see how beneficial it is Mm -hmm. to go through it and do it. I don't know. Yeah. Just thank God for Snow Robertson every day. I know. All of the hard work didn't pay off right away. Another slip that Little made was in picking 24-year-old Melissa Thomas in Opelousas, Louisiana, in January of 1996. Melissa was not a sex worker and wasn't somebody that no one was looking for. She had left her mom's house to buy cigarettes less than a mile away. Her body was found later in a cemetery face down with scratches on her neck. Her case went cold quickly and her family collapsed. Mm. Melissa's brother said that their parents died of a broken heart. Mm. That's so sad. I know. And I feel like that's entirely possible. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Because we... Okay. This is kind of one of my favorite things to tell people about our family. I don't know why. Actually, I do. I think it's precious. But so we have like our great grandmother had a sister who they were like completely joined at the hip. They were so close. Their dad thought that they were going to be born boys or maybe he hoped for boys. So he named all of the girls in the family boy names. So our great grandmother's name was Lloyd. Her sister's name was Bill. Yeah, Aunt Bill. So Aunt Bill, yes. <laughs> and after Granny passed away, Lloyd, Aunt Bill passed away shortly thereafter, like within months because she died of a broken heart. Mm-hmm. So sad. But anyway, I just love to talk about Aunt Bill <laughs> and Lloyd. But anyway, so 13 years after her murder, Captain Crystal LeBlanc got a call from Melissa's siblings who told her about their parents' heartbreak. LeBlanc would soon become a part of the family because she tirelessly chased every lead. I mean, here we go. Another one. I mean, they're just, they're great. I know. So, Terrell, let's cut to 2012. All right, let's do it. So, in 2012, the cold case unit in Los Angeles, California, ran DNA from cold cases. The DNA was run from the Audrey Nelson and Guadalupe Apodaca cases, and they matched. Both women had been found within three weeks of each other. Both had their shirts over their heads and their bottom halves completely naked. Both had scrapes from being dragged and both had bruising on their necks and broken hyoid bones. And the DNA matched one suspect. And it was Henry Lee Lucas. (laughs) I told you he did it. No. Right, right, right. It was Sam Little. Okay. Angry bird. But he still fucking thinks. Anyway, okay, okay. All right, I'm not even gonna get into it. Yeah, let's not. Okay, so the cold case team dove into Sam Little's background and found his lengthy rap sheet that went all the way back to the 50s. When they knew he'd killed two women, 
LAPD went about trying to locate Sam Little, who was also going by Sam McDowell in some places. And so they called the FBI for help. In 2007, for possession of cocaine, and he pled guilty, but he didn't show up for his court ordered rehab and eloped. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's like, here's another thing that I don't get about our justice system. He skips out on his, what he's supposed to be doing for a drug charge. And they're mm-hmm. just like, eh, not that big of a deal. You know, like if we see him, we see him. If we don't, we don't kind of thing. Right. But then you have just so many other cases. Like when we talked about, you know, the devil you know on the Patreon and how the guy got caught with some drugs. Yes, intent to distribute. He was selling drugs because he couldn't find a job. But like, you're going to throw the book at him. But this guy has violent crimes in his history. And, you know, we've got multiple burglaries, multiple, th- like so many things, assaults, rapes, all that kind of stuff. And you're just like, well, yeah, yeah, he's just a Coke charge and whatever. But he's a habitual offender. Yeah. He's not going to stop. Yeah. Exactly. I just, I don't, I don't understand the, why, why sometimes we throw the book at somebody who has like a first time drug offense and then why yeah. we let people with absolute violent, crime, like long histories of violent crime. We're not gonna, like, here's your reason. It, he he walked out, he got acquitted or, well, he didn't get fully acquitted in the in the one case he took a plea deal, but he essentially walked free for he murder. He got a slap on the wrist. Yeah, attempted yeah. murders and all this kind of stuff. Here's your chance to hold his ass. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like, why make an example out of one? Yeah. And I mean, I know this is this is 2007, but there's other there's other instances like this throughout his history. Mm-hmm. Like it just mm-hmm. drives me crazy. So a bench warrant was issued. He was located when he used his social security ATM card and was found living in a homeless shelter in Kentucky. He was arrested and extradited to California on the drug charges. LAPD's call to the FBI led them to crime analysts Christy Palazzolo and Dr. Angela Williamson, who has a really cool accent. Yes, she sounds Australian. Yeah, like... Love it. Yeah. She sounds like Australian, but she's been living in the US for a while. It's really cool. It's like slightly ironed out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Palazzolo busted out the VICAP database and looked for links. So I wanted to pull up the FBI's website just in case... VICAP was not something I was really familiar with. Uh, Same girl. So that is the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. So VICAP. And it's a system where they, it says VICAP maintains a nationwide data information center that collects, collates, and analyzes crimes of violence, i.e. homicide, attempted homicide, missing persons, child abductions, sexual assaults, and unidentified deceased persons. VICAP analysts examine crime data and patterns to identify potential similarities among crimes, create investigative matrices, develop timelines, and identify homicide and sexual assault trends and patterns. So it's a super beneficial program. And I feel like, especially for serial murders, you know, like it's already so difficult when somebody crosses state lines to link these crimes together. And it just feels like this case was like perfect and as far as I know, Snow Robertson was the only person who put 
Well, she said some, she did say most of the cases they linked to Sam Little were not in VICAP. So I guess some of them maybe had submitted the information, but a lot of the investigators or whatever, sure. Yeah, any of these cases did not submit it. So these are two more people that literally worked tirelessly to get they they were like they saw this pattern and said we've got a serial murderer on our hands we need to find these these victims and get their families closure it's just amazing mm-hmm. it is so she looks into Sam Little's background as well and found his epic rap sheet and saw that he rarely served time and when he did serve time he was usually released early for good behavior again you know a hallmark of a serial killer right he's charismatic he knows when to behave Mm-hmm. Because it benefits him, he can make people feel at ease and charm people and all that kind of stuff. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Why should all of these horrible crimes that he's committed be excused for a couple months of acting right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like, well, but he he didn't give us any trouble in here. Well, yeah, he made his bed every day. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yeah. So she uses this rap sheet to link Little to locations and then looked for manual strangulations in those areas. So it is, it's a good thing that he has come into contact with law enforcement so many times because we at least are able to pinpoint he's in this area here because he was arrested. He's in this area here because he was incarcerated for however many months. So at least there's that information to go on. Right. One of the problems with this was that Little almost always chose sex workers and women who were what he felt was less likely to be missed. They were typically women who were quote unquote down on their luck or had addictions or mental illness or intellectual disabilities. Palazzolo matched up Denise Brothers, but there was no hard evidence. So she just had to hold on to that one. And that one was really, Denise's case was really like what the catalyst mm-hmm. for her was the catalyst to look into these other because immediately she kind of matched that one up. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, LAPD is doing their own work. They linked the DNA to another woman, Carol Alford. They also contacted the survivors of Sam Little. Lori Barris had changed her life in the years since her attack and she had no clue that they had collected Sam Little's DNA all those years ago. She had a daughter now, and she was studying psychology and criminology. Wow. When she was contacted to testify, she was upset. Not because she was going to testify and see him. She was upset that she was going to have to tell her daughter and her family about her former life. Her family was supportive, and when she later testified, she said she did it because she didn't want him to think that he'd won. That's powerful. Yeah, that's really, really brave. All three LA victims were found near Little's apartment at the time. With the DNA evidence, the link to three women, the locations near his apartment, and the pattern with the survivors, the DA was ready to press charges. And serial killing is a, quote, special circumstance, meaning that they can go for the death penalty. So Sam was tried, and after two weeks of testimony, he was found guilty for the murders of Carol Alford, Audrey Nelson, and Guadalupe Apodaca. He was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. All the while, Sam Little claims his innocence and says the trial was built on phony evidence. (laughs) Mm. Okay. 
Okay. That's, I could not. (laughs) He said his conviction was brought by lies and he called it illegal lynching. The gall. Mm -hmm. The only thing that they're missing is pictures of this or video of him doing it. Everything else is there. It's like ironclad. There is no way. No. It's just amazing to me that when somebody is caught completely red-handed like he was and they're Uh like, I didn't do it. Uh huh. Yeah. But isn't that the uh, calling card of a sociopath? Like yep. they will lie straight mm-hmm. to your face, and it does not knowing. Yeah, and it doesn't embarrass them. It doesn't phase uh-uh. them. Like you know, you or I, most normal people, if if I lie about something and you catch me in it, oh my god, you know what? I'm so sorry. I lie. You know, like I'm embarrassed. Yeah. You might cry. None of that phases somebody like him. He just. Yeah. He's going to say the same thing over and over to you and fully believe that eventually you're just going to believe him. Like it's, mm. it's really ridiculous. And, you know, not only is he just outright lying about his involvement, he is also being such an asshole to the victim's families because when they made their impact statements, he yelled at them in court. Mm-hmm. He made comment. He was just awful. And when, by this time, he's in a wheelchair. And so when they wheel him out of court that day, he's like punching his fist up in the air. Like, you know, I'm going to come back and win this. Like he was very like, well, I feel like it's rem- reminiscent. I know it, this is not the perfect example, but in my little world, Breakfast Club, when mm. Judd Nelson <laughs> at the very end, he like gets the kiss from Molly Ringwald and he's like, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, not really similar, but except for the fist. So I get it. (laughs) Go with me. Come on. Throw me a bone here. I'm trying. Yeah, he was very like... It was a very defiant... Yeah. Yeah, it was a defiant moment. And of course, he filed appeals on appeals on appeals on appeals. He was like always trying to... It's it. so annoying. I know that we've talked about it so many times and I feel like appeals are great for when they're necessary. Mm-hmm. However, again, it's like, in what world do you think this is going to go well for you? They literally have so much, like a mountain of evidence proving that it was you. Yeah. And you're like, I had never heard of her. Yeah, exactly. I've never been there. I don't know what you're talking nope. about. Yep. Nope. That's the same thing I do when my husband talks about um, when he <laughs> when he opens shopping. the well shopping and also if he opens the ice cream in the freezer and oh, it's like sure. almost all gone and I'm like I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> and it doesn't work with him either so yeah we've been there done that Sam Little just with different things but yeah still exactly we know it doesn't work give it up yes all right so let's get to his confessions <laughs> yeah. So even though Little was in prison for life, Christy Palazzolo, among others, felt that it was important to use him to close cold cases and get closure for the families, which is, again, super amazing because they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Palazzolo was convinced that Little was responsible for Denise Brothers' murder. Then Dr. Angela Williamson got a call from Texas Ranger James Jim Holland asking about Sam Little. And Jim Holland might be the only redeeming... I know. Texas Ranger yep. that I've ever heard about. As soon as they were like, we brought in the Rangers, I was like, the fucking Rangers, here we I go know. again. And then I was like, oh my God, okay, I actually really like Jim Holland. Bob Prince. Bob Prince, that's it. Yes, that it little angry bird. Yes, Prince. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's, yeah, I knew it was something with a P and I couldn't think of it. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, oh, you're maybe. welcome. 
Holland was looking at him for cases without knowing that he'd been arrested and convicted. And Williamson leaned over like, uh, Christy, is that guy you're looking at Samuel Little? Isn't Wait. it crazy how they all three were all looking at Sam Little for all these different cases all over the like that's crazy to me. And like she overhears, you know, her talking about it and she's like, oh my God, I'm looking at Sam Little too. Yeah. What are the odds of that? I know. Crazy. I feel like it's just amazing when you see something like this and you can tell that they're all on the same page and they happen to be on the same page at the same time. It's like the stars align in such a way. It's amazing. Yeah. So the three of them became the A-team and decided they needed to talk to Little in person. So Holland was an expert in interviewing Sam Little's brand of psycho, which did anybody know anything about Sam? Like, right. his brand of psycho is a whole nother story. Like, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, that just tells you like how Holland can kind of get in that like character almost. He's almost like a method interviewer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's almost like the the antidote to whichever serial killer but or whoever it is that he's talking to. Because I feel like he could make anybody comfortable talking to him and kind yeah. of beat them at their own game. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, yeah, like pull the wool over their eyes in such a way where the whoever he's talking to is like, he's, he's on my team. He's mm-hmm. on my side. Yeah. I can trust this man. Yeah. yeah. So the problem was Little wasn't talking to anyone and he was denying his guilt hard. However, four years after his conviction, Little had run out of appeals. So now he didn't have anything to lose. Can he talk now? Right. Maybe. Maybe. The trio of investigators studied case files and got themselves super prepared for talking to Little. They headed to California in May of 2018 to interview Little, but they wanted to make sure to surprise him. They only told the prison that they were coming and Palazzolo said that they had been keeping him away from the TV and internet just for the past three years because they said that he hadn't had any visitors in years. So just simply having a visitor was a surprise. Their main goal in this interview was to get a confession about Denise Brothers. They had no forensic evidence. So without a confession, they literally had nothing. And to do that, they knew they were gonna have to learn about Sam Little the person and get on his good side. I know, which I feel like this part of investigating and like securing a confession, like it really makes my skin crawl. So people like Jim Holland, I'm like, hats off to you, girlfriend, because I could never. I know we talked about that a little bit, like before we started recording, just like how it would be so difficult to sit there and pretend like you're his best friend. Yeah, and and try to agree with him and be like, oh yeah, you know. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. They got what they deserved. And like bringing him things that he likes, like I, yeah, I would just have a super hard time with that. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Okay, so our favorite thing is talking about friends quotes, right? So this is reminiscent of Ugly Naked Guy and when Ross wants his apartment. And so he has to become Ugly Naked Guy and do things that he likes. That's like, I see you there naked and all I have to say is good for you. (laughs) I applaud I want to be naked too. (laughs) Be amazing. Yeah. So they find out that he likes peanut M&Ms, which same. And now I'm rethinking that choice. Yeah. So they bring him a big ass bag of them and they knew that he liked to draw and paint, which seems like it wouldn't be important, but it definitely becomes important. They also found out that Sam Little does not like the LAPD and he's super pissed at them because they found him out. Mm -hmm. So the LAPD told Holland to use that to his advantage, which... It's kind of like when Monica (laughs) calls Joey's parents about their invitation (laughs) and they hate the U or the... The postal service. Yeah, the postal service. And she's and they hate the Irish. And she's yeah. like, what are they, Irish? And like that gets her <laughs> exactly. right into them. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Exactly. And I have to say, the LAPD really put their egos aside because we have seen that in the past where they're like, no, don't you talk bad about me. Like, yeah. They're like, look, if you gotta, you gotta call us like whatever name in the book just to get him to like you, go for it. Yeah, exactly. So they arrive at the prison on May 17th, 2018, and Samuel Little is wheeled into the room. At this point, he, like we said, is old and decrepit and needs a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Palazzolo and Williamson are in the next room watching and listening to the interview so that if Sam Little starts talking, they can try and match details to the cases they suspected he was responsible for. They also weren't really sure how Little would react to women, so they felt it best to stay out. I think that was which... such a smart move. <laughs> Oh gosh, of course it was. But we talked about it before too. And I was like, that pisses me off because they, I don't know how it felt. I'm sure securing, like the outcome was greater than what part they had to play in it. Yeah. But it just fucking sucks Mm -hmm. that because he objectified women as much as he did in the way that he did, they had to be like, okay, it's best if we don't go in there. Like they are... They're not allowed to do the job they want to do because he cannot control himself and he hates women so much that, you know, it's just like, fuck you, man. I just hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. So Jim Holland was respectful of Little and basically just let him talk. He treated him like a buddy and he even pretended to talk to him in Little's style. When Little would use disgusting language and terrible stories, Holland would mirror that. Mm -hmm. At first, Sam thought Holland was with the LAPD. So for the first half hour, Little talks about how the LAPD gave him a quote-unquote raw deal. 
However, once Holland lets Little know that he's actually a Texas Ranger and they need his help, Little's demeanor changes somewhat. At first, Little was hesitant because he felt that the Texas Rangers were gonna be just like the LAPD in his eyes and get him with a bunch of quote unquote fake evidence. But Jim has interviewed people like him before and he knew how to talk to him. So he piles flattery on Sam and tells him like, there's no one like you and make sure that Little knows that he knows that Little isn't a rapist because that's the worst thing that Little could be called, right? Yeah. Holland plays along. You've never been convicted of a rape. You're not a rapist. And he even tells Little that he knows he's not a murderer. He's a killer, but not a murderer. And that's, there's a difference. Yeah, and it's really funny, but a lot of, like, it's funny to say that because you're like, you know, obviously everybody's like, well, no, there's, you know, I mean, if you're in combat, that's a difference. But, you know, there are situations, if you've had to kill in self-defense, that's a difference. But for Sam Little, no, there is no difference. You're no. a murderer, and he's like, "Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you've you've killed, but you're not a murderer. Like, like that's not who you are as a person." And Sam Little just fucking eats that shit up. Yeah, it's amazing to me how how much how he is looked at matters to him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he knows that he has done these terrible terrible things but he's like but i i'm not as bad as you guys think i am and that's so important to him yeah yep i guess just to sleep at night i don't know yeah so he lets little things that he understands and respects him and he's like i know you've been on the streets for like 50 some years and i'm sure you just had to handle business Uh uh-huh yeah and he's Uh like you know i know what that's like i've been on the streets before you know i know he he even like refers to some of the women as he's like, I know what a hoe is and like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And Little's like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like he's just, he's building that rapport and that that reputation with him so that he can build mm-hmm. trust and that's all it's about. And I know it is, I feel like Jim Holland's like skin had to be crawling to have to talk oh, like yeah. this. Like physically hurtful yeah. to have to do it. Yeah, I, I like, I don't know if like, if that was me and I was like, yeah, no, 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 I totally get it. Um, I totally get it. Sometimes you have to, um, sometimes you just have to handle business because, because that's how, you know, like I know that, uh, that they, that they deserved it. Like, I feel like I would be like gagging my mouth. No, no, exactly. No, I was just thinking about something I ate last night and it wasn't good. Like, I don't think I could do it. No, I have no poker face, so I would never be able to do it. I just cannot. I'm not a great, great actress. No. So Holland had primed Little and Little was willing to talk to him. So he just casually started talking about like to the ranger about the cases. But Little was trying to work the best deal for himself, which is, under, I mean, not understandable, but of course he is. Yeah. Little tells Holland, if I told my story, they would put me under the gas chamber. And he kind of giggles about it. Well, giggles, not the right word, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He chuckles. Yeah. Little does not want the death penalty, which is so fucking annoying. It's so weird, like, yeah, what do you, okay, yeah. Well, it just shows how he values his life above anybody else's. Also, but, like, do you think it's a control thing? Like, I've, oh, yeah, I've essentially lost all control. Like, I'm in jail forever, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something to hold the process up or be like, no, I'm still the boss, like. Yeah, because yeah. of the way, I mean, he refuses to tell 
any details until he can get people to be like, yeah, the death penalty is off the table. Uh We're not going to do it. Right. So he says that if he gets the death penalty waived, then he'll confess to everything. But he needs something to take to the DA in order to get that deal in the works. Little confesses that there wouldn't be many murders in Texas and then starts talking about Odessa, Texas and a white girl who was about 35 to 40 years old. He describes her as blonde, skinny and tall. When Holland asks where Little put the girl, Little tells him that he put her by a fence. The FBI ladies in the next room know that Little is talking about Denise Brothers. I mean, they immediately sit up straight and they're like, oh my God, he's talking about Denise. Mm Mm-hmm. He is describing the scene, the body, the murder, everything perfectly. He tells Holland that she's the only one he killed in Odessa. And he says, I ain't did nothing else in Odessa. And he, it's very strange. I don't know. It's crazy to me how accurate he is with like information like that. It's like he has a photographic memory, honestly. Yeah, a little bit. Christy Palazzolo believes that Denise Brothers broke Samuel Little's cases. Well, and I remember in the 93 victims, they were both like, I think Williamson was like, we said some non or unladylike language. And then we were like, oh my God, this is it. You know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So while Jim is talking to Sam Little, the guards are sweeping his cell and they find pictures that he's drawn. Portraits, mostly of celebrities, Whitney Houston, Tony Braxton. And then they're like, well, do you think that you could draw your victims? Because some of them, you know, like we said, he either didn't know their name or maybe, you know, it's possible they could be going by a name that is not their name, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh yeah, I could draw them from memory. So he gives them the name of a city and the number of women he killed in each one. And he starts listing. So he's like, you know, five in Gulfport, three in Jackson. And he goes on to list like, he's got Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Bowling Green. He goes on and on and on and on, all the way to Vegas, Phoenix, Omaha, like all over the country. And he ends up with over 90 women starting back in Miami on New Year's 1970. And then he goes all the way to 2005 when he killed his final victim, which was Nancy Carroll Stevens in Tupelo, Mississippi. It's, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And pretty much everybody who talks about this says it's unprecedented. But you know what, though? It's believable because the span of time that he was actively killing people and the amount of people that he said he killed makes sense. You know what doesn't make sense? The confession killer. Yes, exactly. He it's, murdered a thousand and two women over the span of six months. Exactly. Like in what world? Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is like over thirty years. Yeah, exactly. I know. I was thinking that when I was like, once I started thinking like this is similar to the confession killer, except the fact that he actually did it and Henry mm-hmm. Lucas didn't. I'm just like, how did you guys not fucking pick up on this? Like, I know it's so ridiculous. I know. So Little agrees that if Jim Holland can get him out of California and into Texas, he'll tell them everything. And by this time, Little's 78 years old. He's in really poor health. And they're like, if we don't get this information from him now, like he is going to totally die and take it all with him. So (laughs) He's going to totally die. He's super old and he's totally about to die. So that night they get to work and they start getting documentation from the DA to say that they won't seek the death penalty. 
So Holland brings the letter to Sam Little to prove that he's not messing with him. He's actually doing what he says he's going to do. The next day, they're back with Little and trying to get information that only the killer would know about Denise's murder. I mean, they had some information from him and they knew he was talking about that murder, but they wanted something more that was like, we definitely know this wasn't published, you know, like, give Mm -hmm. us something. Yeah. So Holland has him talking about the case and Little is able to describe the scene where Denise's body was found with precision down to a specific pipe that was there. Only the people that were there from the police and the killer would have known about that pipe because it was not in the original crime scene photos. And after he mentioned it, the authorities went digging through the evidence on Denise Brothers trying to find that pipe. They ended up finding an undeveloped roll of film. Like, had they just said, "Eh, it's not in here, he's lying, would they have discredited every confession? You know, like, Mm -hmm. again, it's like these extra steps, like, taking that undeveloped roll of film and they developed it and there was the pipe. And they That's were like, "Amazing! all right, this dude's telling the truth. So over the next two days, he is confessing to over 20 murders in like absolute minute detail. Palazzolo said they went about trying to extradite him and get more information on cases he described but they were not releasing his name. So she's like, you know, we'd call different agencies that Little had, you know, mentioned and tell them, okay, we've got somebody confessing to a murder in your area. Here's the details he gave. Do you have a case that matches that? And oh, by the way, we're not going to give you any information on him because we don't want that to get out. And she's like, they didn't like it. And you'd think, I don't know, I (laughs) I guess if somebody said that to me, they'd be like, I need to talk to you about this, but I can only talk to you about it this much. It'd kind of be like disappointing. Like, man, I wonder what it is or who it is, you know? Like, well, yeah, I have a secret to tell you, but I can't tell. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, if the goal is that we're going to be able to possibly close this case and you've got something going on, I don't want to stand in the way of that. Yeah. But again, it's like ego. Like a lot of, I was going to say, yeah, it's ego driven. A lot of people got mad. Another issue with matching his confessions to victims is that some of the victims were not even listed as homicides, but they were listed as like accidental deaths due to drug overdoses. And like we talked about in the first episode, if the body is too decomposed. Yeah, every single one of his victims died by manual strangulation. And if they were so decomposed by the time their bodies were found and you couldn't tell and you ID'd this person as a sex worker who was addicted to drugs and there's no... Because sometimes he didn't even... Like he would pick up a sex worker, but he wouldn't necessarily have sex with her. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was... He didn't even... It was just about the the strangulation. Yeah, that's all. That's That was the sexual gratification. I don't even think sex had to come into play. It was yeah. just... He got his rocks off by strangling women. Exactly. So it could possibly look like okay, well, maybe an overdose or something happened, especially if there is that that decomposition. Well, and I think too, we've covered cases where they don't do a thorough investigation anyway. And I'm not saying this about everybody, but it could very well be that they found the body, maybe it wasn't even decomposed, but they were like, well, she's on drugs. We'll just say that, you know? Exactly, yeah, probably an overdose by. Yeah. Not gonna worry about it, yeah. Yeah, don't wanna do the extra paperwork. Yeah, exactly. So there were a lot of details that Sam Little was really, really accurate about. I mean, how do you remember that pipe from 20, 30 years ago at that Mm -hmm. crime scene when you killed this many people? It seems 
not realistic in any way, shape, or form, but he did. But his timelines were way off by as much as a decade. So when he was talking about, you know, because they're asking him, okay, well, when would you have been in that area? And he was off by almost 10 years. So, but you got to think too. I mean, I have a hard time timeline sometimes. His memory was pretty amazing, but he's 78 years old. Yeah. And and again, like we said, he kind of associates timelines with his vehicles. And if he had a vehicle for a long enough time, it kind of all blurs together. I mean, I had to ask my husband twice today what day it is. Like, I don't... <laughs> I mean, I get that you do need to verify that, but that is one thing too that they found as they went through the cases is they're like, you know, this is a trend with him. He's not great with dates, but he can remember everything else. So what mm-hmm. they learned to do was if he says... I was in this area during this year or whatever, or during you know this time period, they would bump 10 years on either side of that and look for cases that matched. Again, something they did not have to do. They could have said, well, I don't see anybody in 1992 that matches that. He, that's, we don't have anything there. Mm-hmm. But they would give themselves that buffer so that they could find the case. It's amazing. Yeah. And they would call like multiple agencies because another thing that obviously Sam Little is not going to know is if he picks a girl up in Odessa and then drives away and drops her body in a field somewhere, that's a different agency's jurisdiction. jurisdiction. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's not paying attention to that, obviously. So I wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. They had to be, they had to look at all of those aspects. But it's extra steps that they just 100% did not have to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He also remembered newspaper headlines about his victims, which did help in some cases or like very specific details in other cases that narrowed them down quickly. One of his victims, there was a newspaper article written about her when her body had been found. And the headline referred to her as a lost soul. And they were able to find that headline and match it up with all the details of the scene where this woman's body was found. And that's how they found who this was. He couldn't remember her name, but he remembered they called her a lost soul. Wow. That's incredible. And I think it's really awesome too, that for the time that they're doing this, thank God for the internet. Yes. You know, because could you imagine how painstaking it would be to have to go through a million headlines and newspaper articles from those like old school ones in the library where you have to like right? scan, and yeah. scan and scan and scan and scan. Yeah, and she said they got a subscription to newspaper.com and just typed in every phrase they could think of. You know, anything that he said, they would type it in. They would change the way the words were arranged or kind of change the the search terms up a little bit, variations of it, and find what they needed to find. I mean, it's it's incredible. They worked day and night on this. Amazing. Like, Absolutely day and night. And psychologists said that Little felt that these women were expendable and that he wanted to be as close as possible to the victims during the killing. He wanted to see them being choked. He wanted to see his thumbs digging into their throats. Mm. He enjoyed the act of strangling, but not necessarily the act of murder, which is very strange to me because like we said in the first episode, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? Of course, they're going to die if you're strangling them with your giant Yeti hands. Yes. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Like, 
but that it's it's so weird to me that he could he could totally compartmentalize that and be like this is the part that I'm interested in the other part is just an effect of that you know mhm he i don't he didn't the thing is he didn't care if they lived or died right it's not like he didn't want them to die he just didn't give a fuck he, human life means nothing to him. So this is a woman that he can pick up who can give him sexual gratification. Yeah. And if she dies in the process, so be it. Yeah, it's just like kind of a side effect that he did. You know, it's like, well, if it happens, it happens, whatever. Like, yeah, exactly. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think the only reason he may want to be sure that they do die is so that they can't ID him. Mm-hmm. Well, and... I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit. Well, I know we'll talk about it a little bit later. But he wasn't the kind of serial killer that worked under like the cover of darkness or wore a ski mask or whatever. He had to make them comfortable enough because that it didn't, he didn't want to disarm them and just start choking them willy nilly. He wanted to, for it to be kind of like this mutual thing. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into him doing it. Yeah, yeah, because it almost seems like he he needed it to be like that these women were interested in him or, yes, you know, it almost, the way he talks about it is almost like, okay, we're on a date. He would even take some of the women out to dinner first. Yeah, he did, which is terrifying. You know, have full conversations with them, talk about their children. In one case, he's met one of the women's adult son, sons. Like, mm-hmm. And then he's just knowing full well he's going to murder this woman. Like, it's crazy. It is crazy. And, well, I won't get ahead of us. Let's go ahead. Okay. So he ends up telling Holland that he was really young when he realized he was sexually attracted to women's necks. He says he was like five years old. This terrifies me. Mm -hmm. My oldest son is five. There is not one thing in his mind that associates anything in a sexual way. No. Not one thing. Because you shouldn't. Right, you shouldn't. It's just, that's very strange. Those are things that you have to, you know, if you see it in a child that you know in your child, like something needs to be done there. Mm -hmm. What could have happened had he gotten into therapy or some kind of treatment? Like, I don't know, but... There's something there. And then he said that he was around seven or eight when he knew he wanted to kill. And when he was around 15, he started getting into the true crime magazines that were out at the time, which BTK was also super into. Hmm. And there was a picture of a woman named Gloria Ferry in one of these magazines. The story was that the wrestler, Louis Statler, which he called him a wrestler, uh, and that's exactly how our granddaddy used to say wrestle. Um, yes. <laughs> but this guy, Louis Statler, had kidnapped Gloria, took her to Cleveland, and then he choked her to death. And the picture of her in this magazine is a picture of her alive and well. But she's wearing something where you can kind of, you can see like her decollete. Yes. Yeah, you can. I haven't heard that since skincare school, pretty much. Oh. <laughs> and... He was just like, she had a beautiful neck. Like he could not stop checking out her neck. And he said he got super turned on about it. And that was his inspiration. And then he started reading these magazines and doing the opposite of what you should do when you read a magazine like this. 
he used it as a manual of like, here's how I can get away with murder. Here's how they mm. do investigations. And so I need to do the opposite. Mm. And then when he's like 30-ish, he realized that he wanted more than just choking women during sex. And then he tells Holland that at this point, I asked the good Lord, I said, why me? And we talked about this a little before we started recording. He was very like, God made me this way. Again, like pointing that finger of blame away from himself. It's just amazing the lack of responsibility that he Mm -hmm. will take. Yeah. Yeah, because if that's something that you know you're capable of into having urges for, Mm-hmm. You've got to seek help. Like you've got to do something. There's well, yeah, because there's a little thing that we in the biz like to call free will. Yeah, exactly. It just is crazy. Yeah, God didn't make you do anything. You stupid piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, I I feel very positive. I haven't read the whole Bible in its entirety, but I feel pretty positive. It doesn't say in there anywhere like, "Thou shalt murder and choke women." Yes, like if you feel compelled to yeah. do so. If you feel like doing it, do it. If you're powerless to stop, go for it. Exactly, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure the Bible is uh, kind of opposite of that, but, you know. Well, and let's just say when he's having these little talks with himself about why did God make me do this, that's that's the moment where you think, okay, this isn't normal. Uh-huh, yeah. I need to do something about this. Right, and then, but what does somebody like Sam Little do? Like, you know, we talked about it with Israel Keys. Instead of being like, okay, this isn't normal, I shouldn't do it. They say, well, this isn't normal, I won't do it around other people. Yeah, exactly. I'll just get better at hiding it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Little confessed to killing Rosie Hill in Ocala, Florida in 1982. He said that she was the one where he got the closest to getting caught. I mean, I guess other than, I guess are we saying a person who died that would be the closest to him getting caught because he was caught absolutely red-handed in the process of murdering Tanya Jackson. Tanya, yeah. But but this was his close call. (laughs) He said he'd already choked her to death in his car when the police pulled up behind his car. He hopped out, adjusting his pants, and the officer thought they were just having sex. And he said that the officer saw her body but did not check on her. And she, at this point, she's in the same position that Tanya Jackson was found in. Yes. So she was had the top half of her body down in the floorboard, the bottom half of her body up on the seat. Her legs were spread wide open. And he said this officer must have just been embarrassed to see a naked woman like that. Like 
you know, walked in on something he wasn't supposed to. So he was just basically like, all right, we all, you know, finish what you're doing. Just make sure you don't do anything you're not supposed to do. And was like, basically have a good night. Move along, move along. Yeah. He was just like, okay, you got to get out of here. When I heard that, I was like, I hope that that police officer knows and feels badly because that is an obstruction of justice and he was not doing his fucking job. Right. I was just like, yeah, you... She could not have looked like she was okay. No, even if it's two consenting adults and someone is in that position, you got to check in on that. That's not okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember one time when I was in high school, I was making out with my boyfriend in a parking lot. Oh, yeah. And the police pulled up and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Like I was so (laughs) upset and I thought I'm like, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And... My boyfriend gets out of the car and he's like, you know, hey, sorry. You know, obviously we're like not allowed to do this at our houses. So here we yeah, are. Gotta find somewhere to do it. And the police officer still came over and spoke to me and said, and I was so mad at him for asking me the questions he asked me. And now I'm so grateful that he did. And he said, Do you know this man? And I was like, What well, of course I know this man. Like I was like, what are you trying to say to me? Like I thought he was insulting me, but he was asking me the questions that somebody should have tried to ask this woman and would have discovered that she was dead. But what if I hit, you know, what if you come across somebody who is like Sam Little and saying, oh, that's just me and my wife. We got in a fight, but we're fine now. We're making up. And she's being held by somebody that she's not supposed to, you know, be with or she's being attacked. Like, yeah, you need to ask those questions because if, if that one officer hadn't, checked on Tanya Jackson, she would not have lived. Mm-hmm. And of course, when I'm, what, 16, 17 years old, I didn't understand, but... No, but it's... I am very proud that that's the situation that you encountered. And I just feel like that should be... Because again, we talked about it so many times. Nobody makes police officers be police officers. Right. You do it because you hopefully want to see justice prevail. However, a lot of times it's because people are on a fucking power trip or something. I don't know. But it's like, that's part of your job. Yeah. Protect and serve. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And also, thankfully, they didn't call our parents. That was nice. (laughs) Uh, Yes. I mean, (laughs) but we would have been in some trouble and I would have prayed for you because I was judgmental. Sure you would have. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's, yeah, you ask those questions. You check on people. There's no way in hell that woman looked okay. There's no, no way. Especially if she had just been choked to death. Right. I mean, come on. It's just ridiculous. That's just somebody who didn't it. care. Yeah. Exactly. So he also confesses to killing blonde-haired, blue-eyed Norwegian woman in a sundress. And he even remembered what she'd eaten that night on their, you know, like we said, he'd take them to dinner sometimes. So he called it a date. Mm-mm. He called it a date. Mm-mm. 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 And when they went back and looked at the autopsy report of this woman, her stomach contents matched what he said she had at dinner that night. It makes me like physically ill. Yeah. During his confessions, he's able to talk about these murders in just an absolutely bonkers amount of detail, but he relives the murder every single time. And he says... So at one point, Jim Holland is like, you know, is there one that you kind of think of often or like come back to as like a favorite or one that, you know, like was special to you or whatever? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I remember all my girls. I think of them every day. Like 
He says he relives them every single day. And it's like maybe one this night, then one another night, but Mm -hmm. he remembers all of them and very fondly. When he refers to them as his girls, (sighs) I want to light my house on fire. Yeah, it's... It's absolutely ridiculous. And he says, too, they didn't die mad at me. <laughs> they like they didn't have a problem with me. We, if, if they were alive today, they'd call me their friend. I, I've never heard of somebody so out of touch with reality yeah. and so fucking ignorant and egotistical. It's not even funny. Like, yeah. You killed them by your hands for no reason other than for you to get your fucking orgasm on. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but they would like me if I hadn't killed them. Well, right. And like, okay, yeah, you may be right that they weren't angry with you prior to you getting the drop on them, basically, because you were planning the whole time to kill them and they didn't see that interaction that way at that point. But it takes a while to manually strangle somebody. And you thoughts went through their mind. Yeah, you better believe they knew exactly what the fuck was happening when it was happening. They were fighting. Mm-hmm. They knew that you were killing them. And I guarantee they were fucking mad at you. <laughs> like, Yeah, exactly. I just cannot. It's amazing to me the way that he talks about himself and the regard that he holds himself. Oh my God. It is so crazy. Yeah. He does end up pleading guilty for the death of Denise Brothers. And Denise's son was like, you know what? I thought about going. I ended up not going. He's like, I don't need to see him ever again. I have all the information I think that I need. I didn't need any more information. And yeah, he was like, I've, I've had my fill. Uh-huh. Sam Little. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I completely understand that. Like, you have to do what you have to do for your mental health and your sanity. And yeah, I just totally understand that. So the art studio that they got him, he was able to create the portraits of his victims to help identify them. And his portraits were accurate enough that whenever a family member saw the portrait, they were able to confirm the identity. And if you see like the picture of Denise Brothers and the draw the painting that he does of her, it's spot it's- on. Scary. It's scary. I cannot imagine as a family seeing a picture of your loved one that you know died by the hands of this man and he is painting their picture. Right. Yeah. I would go into a blind rage. It's Yeah, it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. So then now that they've kind of, they've gotten a lot out of him, they're now letting some other agencies come in and interview him and they're trying you know they're trying to let them close their cases out as well but they told every single one of them like here's the rules if you're going to interview him you let him talk you don't interrupt him you don't start asking questions you don't you do not accuse him of another crime that he's not copping to you don't start throwing accusations at him and you do not call him a rapist Mm-mm. you do not accuse him of rape and they were like look if you get him in a bad mood, if he gets off anyway, if he's like, if he starts getting angry or combative or whatever, like if you start doing stuff that starts to piss him off, he's going to shut down. He's not going to talk to you anymore. You've got one shot at it. Basically, don't fuck it up. It really sucks. And I understand. I get it. But it really sucks how much babying Mm -hmm. killers 
get because they have the control because you need that confession. You need them to talk, but they have conditions. Yeah. So it's like everybody had to walk on eggshells to please this motherfucker. Uh-huh. And look at who he is. Look at what he did. Like, again, I could not do what they do. I just couldn't do it. No. I don't have the self-control. No. And like anytime Jim Holland bring, like he would always do the handoff. He would do the intro. He would introduce them and bring them in. So Sam Little's in the interrogation room. They're going to bring in these investigators or prosecutor, whoever it is, is going to come talk to him. And Jim Holland would always do the intro and he'd, you know, kind of be silly with it and be like, well, you're going to like talk to this guy because he's from, you know, this state and like Florida and guess who his yeah, favorite he, football coach is. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a sad son of a bitch, just like you are like, you know, like <laughs> just kind of making jokes with him or whatever. But there is, oh my God, there's one interview and it is mm. disgusting. He's talking to prosecutor Rick Bell from, where is this, Ohio? Yes, Ohio. Mm. And there's three cases that they're talking about. And, you know, they're kind of going through. And he's also got his investigator, like his, uh, the investigator for the prosecutor's office with him. So Rick is kind of sitting across from him at a long table. And the investigator is sitting on the side. So he can kind of, he's closer to Sam Little. And they're talking and he's confessing to the three cases that they thought were his. And he's giving, you know, insane amounts of detail. So these are the murders of Mary Jo Payton, Rose Evans, and then an unidentified 20-year-old black woman. But while he's talking to them and he's like, going through all of the details of, okay, I picked her up. We did this. We talked about that. I got her in the van. Like, it was so sad too. Cause like Rose Evans, he asked her to get in the van with him. And she was like, I'm not getting in the van with you. You're going to kill me. And he's like, I'm not going to kill you. And, or no, he, he wanted her in the back seat and she wouldn't get in the back seat with him because she said, I know that you're going to try and kill me. And he's like, I'm not going to kill you. And so finally he talks her into it. She gets back there and he says, little does she know that's exactly what I was going to do. I'm like, and he, that's exactly he what she it. knew. Like, yeah. Yeah. It just sucks. And of course he did. He killed her. It's just awful. But he's giving them all these details and he's talking about like, you know, I'll start touching their neck or their throat. And they're like, why are you touching that? And he's like, because it turns me on. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I guess that's where this is going. I guess you should get turned on, you know, like whatever. It disarms mm-hmm. them because of the interaction that they're currently having. And then he proceeds to choke them and he legit is jacking it under the table explaining this to them and i was like horrified it was the worst thing cuz um, he's still getting turned on and that's a bit, that's the thing he's painting these victims faces it turns him all of this is for he he's talking about this not because he wants to help not because he wants to close cases out not cuz he feels guilty he wants to relive that anticipation and that like that feeling that getting turned on feeling is disgusting and he's like well yeah 80 years old and they talk about how other killers they keep mementos right so it's like jewelry or underwear or whatever to remind them sam little doesn't need any of that he has his memories Mm -hmm. that's all he needs exactly his memories or his mementos which is it's crazy but it's terrible it also, it does uh, remind me a little bit of Friends because I don't know if you remember <laughs> when Rachel broke her rib 
And she was trying to get dressed and oh, she yeah. needed Ross's help to get her dressed. Oh, and yes. she was like, well, turn around. I don't want you to see me naked. He's like, I've seen you naked like a million times. And she's like, yeah, but we're not like that anymore. Like we're just friends. We're not together anymore. And he's like, well, if I want to see you naked, I can just close my eyes. And he's like, oh. and then he's like, yowza. <laughs> and she's like, stop it. But like, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just so crazy to me that he remembers with that much accuracy Oh, yeah. It also is crazy to me that his body can still, I mean, participate I in that kind of behavior. Have you heard of Hugh old. Hefner? Uh, Torella, do you really think that Hugh Hefner wasn't all about some Cialis or Viagra? Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. Certainly they weren't giving it to Sam Little. So, yeah, I guess that I is would impressive. think not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they bring in all these agencies. He confesses to more crimes, but there's still many, many more that are unsolved. So they end up releasing the portraits that he painted to the public to see if maybe anybody, you know, might see a picture, a portrait and be like, okay, you know, that's my family member. He continues to confess and draw over the next year and a half. So this is in 2018 when he gets sent back to California. His total of confessions came to 93, but he said he stopped counting after 84. So, I mean, I can't even believe those are sentences that we're saying about murdering people. But they've been able to match his cases or his confessions and close about 50 cases. Again, he picked people that he felt like were not going to be missed not important to business or their family, in his words. In 2019, he ended up pleading guilty to the murders of Anna Stewart, which was 1981 in Columbus, Ohio, Mary Jo Payton in 1984, and Rose Evans, 1991 in Cleveland. He also pleaded guilty to murdering a Jane Doe whose body has never been found and was sentenced to four more consecutive life sentences. The Catching a Serial Killer documentary said something jarring. They said that he killed more people than Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Gacy combined. They called him the ultimate serial killer. The fact that so many people have not heard about him. I know. Because Bundy, Dahmer, and Gacy, how many people, everybody's heard about them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really wild. And, but again, look at victimology there. Yeah. Well, and I have to say, too, because I had heard about Rifkin, Joel Rifkin. Mm-hmm. His primary victims were sex workers. Mm-hmm. I've heard about him. I have to think that it's it coincides, like it's the victims and the fact that he is mm-hmm. a black man. Yeah, it is. And it's 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 very sad. Just stupid. Yeah, it is. There are currently 46 unmatched confessions or Jane Doe's listed from about 1970 to 1996. They range from Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina over to Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Texas up to Ohio, Illinois, Kentucky, even Maryland, and then all the way over to Nevada and California. Holland told 60 Minutes that nothing Samuel Little ever said turned out to be a lie or false in any way. So they believe all of the remaining confessions are true. That's gracious. Then on December 30th, 2020, Sam Little died at 80 years old in a California hospital. While the official cause of death hasn't been released, Little suffered from diabetes and heart problems. So those could have been what took him out. 
a Department of Corrections spokesperson, said that there were no signs of foul play in his death. Jim Holland said that Little could never really tell him solidly why he killed these women. He'd said sex and the strangulation were the main thing, but Little could never really explain it. Now that he's dead, all that's left are the confession tapes and portraits to help close those cases. You can see the portraits and read the details on the FBI.gov site if you feel like you could help. Yeah, and we will link to that. So that is uh, the FBI.gov site that's dedicated to him. It's FBI.gov confessions of a serial killer. Everything is mapped out, has unmatched confessions. They've got the Jane Doe's mapped out and has what details they have as well as little portraits for some of the women. So we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Yes, thank you so much for sticking with us through this. So we know it was rough. Yeah. But we appreciate you listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys. So before we head out for the week, we have some shout outs for new patrons. Oh my God. I'm going to raise the roof about it. Oh, raise the roof, raise the roof. Hey girl, thanks to Celeste C., Emily Gibson, Kara Wood, Latasha Stevenson, Gray Foreman, Julie Peterson, Haley Denning, Chrissy B., Zira Holtum, Margaret Scherfe, Bob Land, Dose Bath Company, Asia, Daniel Wrightstone, Jesse Butterfant, sorry, Emily Brooks, Chantal Valdez, Amy Harley, Brittany Lippert, Vanessa Campos, Adria Ellington, Leanne Rogers, Kylie, Kendall, oh my god, Kylie Kendall, <laughs> stop it, <laughs> Melissa Balduff, Mallory Franks, Marla Falbo, Lauren Radcliffe, Katherine Morgan, Megan Haynes, Sherry Dickens, Caitlin Christensen, Carly Richardson, Mallory Hyatt, Carly Quigley, Allison Kirk, Lynn Smith, Julia N. Mooney, Dakota Lane, Alicia Collins, Brianna Orozco, Courtney Gibbons, Kat Holly Green, Ursula Sabic. Oh my God, Ursula! <laughs> cool, love it. Kayla Mullins, Kim, Augusta Wilson. Mindy Hanna. Oh my God. Hey girl, thanks. We love you guys. And so sorry if we butchered your name. Oh my God. Yeah, sorry. And sorry, Ursula, if you don't watch Friends and don't know Ursula. Yes. It was, I, I had to. Yes. And we feel like your alter ego would be Phoebe Buffay. You were in. That's amazing. That'd be the vampire layer. <laughs> okay. We love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye! The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 